If you have been learning from the Be The Bridge podcast, our work, I want you to consider becoming a financial partner today. And the other way you can become a financial partner is by shopping our store. You can sport our apparel to uh, represent what Be The Bridge stands for. And this donation goes to a special cause. And so just a reminder, um, our vision is seeing that all are equipped to flourish through expanding our reach and continuing to spread the good news of social justice. Um, we are able to pursue this vision and fulfill our mission of empowering people and culture toward racial healing, racial equity, and racial reconciliation through your generous donor support. So thank you for supporting all that Be The Bridge does. Thank you for giving to us. And just remember, we're not the only way, we're just one way to get us on the path to racial equity, racial healing, and racial reconciliation. Thank you so much for your support. We want to learn a little bit more about our Be The Bridge podcast family. We've created a quick survey for you to fill out. Make sure to click on the show notes and you will find the survey link at the end. In this episode, we mentioned the Grand Canyon. And I would be remiss if I did not do a land recognition for the Havasupai tribe. This is one of 11 Native American tribes that are traditionally affiliated with the Grand Canyon National Park. They've been living along the Grand Canyon's tower and red walls of rock for many centuries. They take care of the land and they also host tourists on the west side. I actually had an opportunity to visit their skywalk on the west side and I'm grateful for all the history that they have allowed us to learn about um, their traditions and their people. So we just wanted to mention that the guardians of the Grand Canyon are the Havasu tribe. Be the bridge, be the bridge. You are listening to the Be the Bridge podcast with Latasha Morrison. How are you guys doing today? Each week, Be The Bridge podcast tackles subjects related to race and culture with the goal of bringing understanding. But I'm going to do it in the spirit of love. We believe understanding can move us toward racial healing, racial equity, and racial unity. Latasha Morrison is the founder of Be The Bridge, which is an organization responding to racial brokenness and systemic injustice in our world. This podcast is an extension of our vision to make sure people are no longer conditioned by a racialized society, but grounded in truth. If you have not hit the subscribe button, please do so now. Without further ado, let's begin today's podcast. Oh, and stick around for some important information at the end. Be the rich audience. I am so excited um, just to have with me today a new friend. Uh, we met um, several years ago, um, you know, and she. we've been in a lot of the same spaces. We have a lot of the same friends. Um, and so we are so ecstatic to have uh, this musician before a singer songwriter, Miss Ellie Holcomb. And I'm so glad um, just to have you here. I, you know, and just um, 
just you just never know why you meet people or how you would meet people or how people are watching and listening and you don't even realize that they're watching and listening sometimes but um, that's why this work is so important so for our audience who maybe never heard about you um, tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and um, the work that you do. And then we'll go into how our stories kind of connect and align. Yes, friend. Well, it's such an honor to be here with you. You have been a very powerful and beautiful voice in my life for a lot of years, but especially last year, which I know we'll talk about later. So my name is Ellie. <laughs> it's so good to be here with you. Yes. And uh, I, am a, I am a fan of you and a, and a listener of this podcast. So I feel very honored to be talking with oh. you today because I, I tune in all the time. And so oh. um, I'm really, really glad to be here. And I am a singer-songwriter, like you said. I'm married to Drew. He was my best guy friend that I swore I'd never date. And I also swore I'd never marry a musician, so I think God has a sense of humor uh, because I ended up marrying Drew, and I'm so grateful for him. Uh, we live in Nashville, Tennessee, with three, we've got three kids, um, eight, five, and almost three. He's our joy tornado, the little one. Wow. And uh, we are both, we're both singer-songwriters. We tour together and separately, um, so we each have our own separate music careers, but then we also play and um and sing songs on the road together too and bring our kids on the road um and then i'm also a an author i've written two kids books and then uh, okay getting ready to release uh my first sort of devotional this fall oh so, great yeah lots of oh, lots wow. of things you see happening. we got some we got the scoop you see that was insider news for the be the bridge <laughs> audience that she's about to write a that's devotional exactly right that's exactly <laughs> right so it's a it's a beautiful thing for me i think my favorite thing about what i get to do is a lot of what i do is i sit in god's word and i let songs mm. come out because um, mm. for whatever reason, the way that God made me, I'm wired to where if I can sing it, it helps me believe it. I think a lot wow. of us might be wired yeah. that way. Um, it's maybe why God tells us to rejoice a lot. But um, it has been a really beautiful thing to get to write and sing my way through this last year. So that's wow. just released a record that came out kind of in the wake of everything that we've been through this last year. So it feels and really fun for that to be in the world now. Wow. And I know that that takes a lot of vulnerability because after I wrote the book and people were coming up to me saying stuff, I'm like, you feel so naked um, because it's like all your business is out there. You know, your family's business, my family's still alive. And, you know, my dad has since passed, but it's like, oh my goodness, they know all my stuff. Well, not all of it, but you know, a lot of it, you know, and it's just, but but I think about that, you know, when you talk about songwriting, I think those are, that's the authenticity that we love about certain songwriters is when you're writing from that place and that heart. I was just, we, we had a conversation before this conversation and I was just talking to um, Ellie about, I'm taking a, I'm getting ready to take a trip um, to the Grand Canyon. It's a There's a river running through. I'm a canyon. I'm a canyon. There's a river 
did not know she had written this, a whole album about her trip to the Grand Canyon. And so I'm definitely going to be listening to that. And just the, you know, this is a place that my dad had always wanted to go. And I was going to Vegas with another friend for a trip and her parents are coming and um, this is something that they wanted to do. And I was like, oh my goodness, like, I get to have this experience for my dad, you know, and, and so that, so I'm going to take this song with me and um, this is so special. It. Well, now, Tasha, I, I uh-huh. love that you're taught that you're going. I just cannot, I, I couldn't I believe it when you said that because I, can I tell you what happened on yes, my trip? Yes, tell me, tell me. So, because I I'm know, just, I'm so I excited. I'm going to have to get your information because I want to hear some some things that you recommend. And it's going to be hot. I'm nervous. Of, I'm more nervous about it being hot. <laughs> uh, yes, it, you, you will be hot. Get one of those little uh, fans that hangs around your okay. neck. Okay, <laughs> is, I'll do that. It is, or the spray bottle do. fan. It is yes. so, it is hot. And we actually went, it's a, almost a year ago. We went in August. So we were like, you're going to even be there at this around the same time of year. Um, but I will never forget. We actually did. This was it when the numbers were lower with COVID. Um, so we were still trying to be like pretty thoughtful about not being in a lot of indoor places. So we actually went on like a camping trip, which was wild. So we camped on the Northern Rim and we went down into the canyon, rafted the Colorado River, slept on the riverbanks and then rafted out, which is crazy so but here's this what will happened. not be that type yeah, of trip. that is not your trip i know you're not that is the bourgeoisie type of canyon <laughs> visit for this yes. trip but With a spray I, bottle fan i am inspired <laughs> <laughs> well i what? here's what i isn't that crazy so it oh was a God. crazy adventure but i i will never and it was so hot it did feel a little bit like i don't know it just was like 117 degrees but here's what happened when we were at the bottom of that canyon our guide told us and i love that you're getting ready to go see this our guide told us if you look at the canyon walls they tell a story and it's really, it's a story. It's layer upon layer. It's disaster upon disaster upon disaster. Um, landslide, mudslide, volcano, drought. And you really can see it. And then there's this huge divide in the middle of it. And I was just down there, Latasha, after the year that we just all went through, I've been on, which we'll talk about, uh, 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 I've been on an awakening journey of of racial reconciliation and um, walked through your book. I've been lamenting, acknowledging the truth, repenting, grieving, all of these things. Um, And I just thought, man, this feels like such a picture of where we are right now, especially after this last year. Things feel maybe more divided than they've ever felt. We all have sustained trauma and loss upon loss upon loss. When you look at the the racial story in our country, there's loss upon loss, wound upon wound, wrong upon wrong. And I just thought, man, this is just what it looks like to be human. This picture of the canyon, we all know what it's like for our hearts to be split wide open like a canyon. But there, Tasha, at the very pit of that canyon, there was a river running through. And I just had this epiphany. I'm like, this is the gospel. This is the gospel. As it turns out, there is a current of living water that runs deeper 
Water always moves to the lowest place. If you've ever been in a flood, it moves to the lowest place in your house. And so does God. He moves to the lowest place. And, and there's a current of living water. There's a current of God's love that runs deeper than our deepest ache and sorrow. And that will carry us when it feels, if we'll only let it, it will carry us when it feels like we can't carry on any longer. So I just, it is so, I cannot wait for you to see it. And I think too, for me, what your book has been for me, um, it's been an invitation to join up with that current of living water. And it's the invitation that Jesus gives to all of us um, to join up as like molecules of little water, joining up with that current that moves to the lowest places and brings life and refreshment, even to deep places of pain and ache and division. Wow. Yeah, I, I've been reading up on um, just even the indigenous tribe that um, that are there and that, um, you know, that took care of that land. And so I'm reading up on that before, you know, I go so that I'm going there with this other sense of responsibility of land acknowledgement and just to hear like because I told my dad it's so funny um, because I've seen pictures of people who you know go through the canyon on donkeys and stuff like that so when we were talking about it I said and I I have this fear of heights but my dad was in the military and he jumped out of airplanes and so Yeah, and I'm like, uh, I I will go, but um, let me tell you what kind of trip this is going to be, you know. And um, even when we we visited the Hollywood sign, my dad went all the way up. Like, he drove this Jeep all the way up. If it would have just been me and my friend, we would have turned back around because I'm afraid of heights, even driving yes. in a yes. car. And my dad did it, and we got out, and I was like, oh. You know, just even on the street, I'm afraid. And so I told my dad, I said, now, I love water and, you know, and I love boats. And so I said I would canoe through it, but I could not, or kayak through it or whatever, but I could not, like, climb anything, you know. And so that's going to be a trip, like me. But I think if I can look through it, through a historical lens and also this lens that you just painted for me, mm. um, this being, you know, I mean, God on display and the, the yes. story about the living water running through. I'm like, wow, like that's great. <laughs> <laughs> because I probably so would good. go there and say, this is beautiful. It is high. I cannot breathe. It is hot. <laughs> there are bugs out here. And let me get a picture for for my dad, you know, you know, and then, but and um, then I'm gone. Let's go. Eat, let's go to a restaurant yes, with yes, air conditioning. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yes. So thank you for sharing that. And I definitely will be in um, touch about some recommendations, but you know, you talked about, I know you're reading the be the bridge book. How did you discover be the bridge? Like let the audience know, and then tell us about this journey that you're on um, toward racial righteousness. And I'm using this term racial righteousness because, you know, um, it is so biblical. And, you know, when you start talking about righteousness and justice, they go hand in hand. And those things, righteousness and justice, they can produce reconciliation. And so, um, you know, and so sometimes when I use the word reconciliation, some people forget about the righteousness and justice that comes 
before that, that is the essence of the God that we serve, you know? That is, I mean, Jesus came to bring about justice for us, his redemption, you know? And so restoration, the repair, all of that equates to the ministry of reconciliation. And so, um, so I mean, so sometimes we can miss that or we can detach or disconnect this work of racial justice, racial righteousness, racial healing, racial reconciliation from the work of the cross and all the brokenness. So um, tell me a little bit about your journey and how you're making these connections now. Um, And how in the world did you discover, well, I mean, our paths have crossed. So you knew about Be The Bridge, but I think this last year, what was this like, pivotal moment or a catalytic moment that kind of like, okay, I got to get in the game. Like I got to, I got to make some moves. I got to make some transformation. Um, what was that? What, what was that, um, event? And, um, then tell us a little bit about the journey. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, we, we met at if gathering, I, maybe four or five years ago. And I'm not sure, Tasha, but I feel like it might have been one of the first years that y'all introduced Be The Bridge. I feel like you were kind of explaining what a bridge builder group might be. And I remember there being a table on the stage. Yeah, that was the first Jenny year. Allen, okay, and you that and Jenny the- Allen and a group of diverse women were sitting around a table having a conversation. And I had to sing right after you. And I was sobbing. <laughs> okay, that was the first year. That was in 2015. And when Jenny wanted me to have this conversation on stage, and it was a whole back and forth of me not wanting to do it and all this stuff, but we did it. And, but I got to correct you. Jenny was not on that stage having the conversation. She didn't even join you. No, (laughs) she, she was supposed to introduce me, but she was filming something else somewhere else. And I didn't realize that she wasn't going to, I knew she wasn't going to be a part of the conversation because she really wanted to highlight some other people in that conversation and really wanted to give um, women of color, of uh, you know, um, a place um, in, you know, at this, to lead this conversation. And so she wasn't in it, but she was supposed to introduce it. <laughs> And she, I didn't find out until right before we were going on. She wasn't. That's a a running joke we have. You left us hanging. I'm glad it went well, but you left us hanging. Nah, but I didn't realize. You see, this is the first time I'm hearing this. That because I don't know what happened afterwards. I remember everyone coming up on the stage. Jenny did come up and pray for me. Jen Hatmaker, some. I mean, all these women yes. came yes. up and surrounded and prayed. And just remember, Be the Bridge was not an organization at that time. That's right. That's right. I was just a local church girl doing this work in the community. And it was so, Tasha, it's amazing talking to you on a podcast called Be the Bridge right now, thinking about those early days. And, and that is 
I will say that is my memory, actually, of Jenny wow. being up there. Is her praying over you? So yep. I was thinking she was part of the conversation too. That's hilarious that that's a yeah. Joke she prayed. I'm telling you, she prayed me through a lot of this. People just don't know. People just don't know. It but, is, um, and it's good to know that we need. And you had to sing this. after this. I did. Yes. Yeah, so I. I'm sure you don't remember my song because I can't. It was so powerful, and I remember thinking that day. Um, I remember thinking, I would love to be a part of something like that. I have no idea how. I don't. I don't know how I would. I don't know how I would do that. Um, and so I think that uh, racial reconciliation, the idea that race has been an issue in our country, has been something that's been like I've been aware of. I read probably the first book that I read that sort of like helped me understand a little bit more systemic um, issues was Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson. I read that several years ago. Um, I read The Warmth of Other Suns, which oh, is an a beautiful Isabel Wickers. One of my oh. favorite books ever. Like the same. Yes, it beautiful. feels, and it feels, Tasha, it felt like reading fiction. I mean, just it, like she writes it like a story and I'm like, oh my goodness, this actually happened. So that was a really big deal for me to understand somebody else's experience who, who that is totally different than mine because of the color of their skin. So that was uh, an eye-opening book. So I had been aware that that this was obviously like an issue, a thing. In the same breath, um, I kind of uh, maybe rose-colored glasses just was like, but we're moving forward, you know, in general. You know, just this like, I don't know, maybe I'm bent towards hope. I'm a seven on the Enneagram. I don't like pain. I don't like hard... I mean, not anybody likes pain, but I just, I avoid hard things uh, very, I, like that's sort of, I avoid pain. That's sort of a big thing for me. And so... um Obviously, this is a painful conversation to have and hard to have. I understand why people, why people avoid it. I'm not excusing that at all. Um, but in the wake of COVID, um, I think there was a silence. There was a space in a way uh, and space to listen in a way that we never had before. And so in the wake of George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, um, it was sort of this... I, it was it was a wake up call for me, and I heard Annie Downs on a podcast with Mike Kelsey, who's a pastor, black pastor outside of D.C. I think, having a, a very intentional conversation about. They talked about be the bridge. They talked about how we are called um, to listen and and to more intentionally listen and to be. Um, it's sort of that. It reminds me of the Isaiah 61, that we are to be a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor to rebuild the ancient ruins. And I just thought, okay, I don't know repairs of the breach. And I just thought, I feel like a baby toddler. So I, that that conversation that Annie Downs had, she mentioned your name in that conversation with Mike Kelsey. And um, she also talked about how there were people who had talked to her about how she didn't have a lot of voices from people of color on her podcast. And people had reached out to her about that. And she had been on a journey where she was just like, I want to be more intentional about this. Um, because I think it's so easy to stay safe and comfortable 
with what we're familiar with. And I think actually we're missing out when we do that. <laughs> and that's what I started realizing. I'm like, oh my goodness, I had, this has been my loss from not intentionally listening to my black and brown brothers and sisters. So I just started a journey of listening um, and really trying to educate myself. Um, I felt like a baby toddler <laughs> in all of it, learning. I started reading How to Be an Anti-Racist by Abram Kendi, um, White Supremacy. I read, I just went down sort of a, a wow. deep dive. I took a course um, led by a woman here who does these Nashville walking tours. Um, okay, look and at she, this. She is, she, it. it's like a two-week anti-racism course. It's not oh, enough to wow. be... You know, just yeah, just non-racist, but non -racist, how do you actively dismantle the oppressive systems and yeah. rebuild systems where all people flourish? Yeah. Yeah. So she was um, United Street Tours is I think what she does. And so she does these walking tours in Nashville where you taste really good food. And then also she gives you a history of the racial tension and and places where there has been um, pain and things that need to be made right in Nashville's history, which is what? an amazing, yeah, it's amazing. Okay, I'm so coming. She's, I want to come. Come on, let's take it I'm together. Coming. I haven't gotten to do the tour yet because I'd learned about her during COVID. But what was so beautiful for me is I, I called Annie Downs and I said, Annie, I am waking up in a way. I am grieving. Um, and I understand why people, this is a really hard topic to dive into because if you actually really start listening to the people in your life who are are black and brown who are who have had different experiences than you you will grieve you will grieve um if you start doing the his researching history there will be and there should be grief and so i it was a deep dive and i was um it was very heavy and um, and it should be if you're really like leaning into it, waking up for it. And I talked to my friend Zandy. She was really the person who, um, she's a dear friend of mine. She's in a band called The New Respects. Beautiful black woman. Um, we've known each other for a lot of years. And I just started saying, would you let have some intentional conversation with me? Can I just like ask you some questions? I, I just really want to learn from you and listen to you. And when we talked, she said, Ellie, it's so interesting because I've dealt with this my whole life. Because I, I said, what does it mean to you when I, like, I feel like I was raised to be colorblind. Like, God's, God made all people. He loves all people. We should be colorblind. And that, that was the most loving way. And I said, how does that make you feel? And she was like, well, it feels pretty dismissive actually. And I was yeah, like, oh. right, right, right. Okay. So tell me more about that. She was like, well, it's dismissive of the experiences that I've had, you know, uh, just because of the color of my skin, but it also feels a little dismissive of just the way that God made me. I, I am, I've brown skin. I've, and so I don't think it's necessarily like the most loving way to be like that. So conversations with my friend Zandy, um, led, into a conversation with Annie Downs where I was like, I need to be in a bridge builder group. I've heard you talk about this. Oh, I need uh, more help. And she said, well, but they're not meeting. They weren't meeting during COVID. And so, um, cause we have some Nashville groups here. 
um, that are actually led by friends of mine at Corner to Corner, the ACUFs, uh, Will and Tiffany ACUF. But oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, I love. love I, I had lunch with Tiffany when I was in Nashville the last time. It is time for me to. I'm sitting up here planning. Like we need to do something in Nashville. Yes, come here, come Vena to Nashville. Bridge. Yes. But it is so, I, I, I did, I will say, I, I was so sad that I couldn't be a part of like an official group, but Annie was so great. She was like, Ellie, don't wait. Grab Tasha's book. She was like, I have some extras in my office. Come get them. Get a small group of women and y'all read through it together. So I asked my friend Zandy to co-lead uh, a Be the Bridge group with me, and we put together about eight women, diverse women, and we started reading through this book together. And I am here to say that if you are beginning on this journey, (laughs) you're like, I don't know what to do. I just resonate with you. And um, I love that Annie pushed me to do that because I felt like just I feel still feel so new on this journey. I'm still learning so much. And um, it's been a really um, beautiful thing to just show up and to learn to say I'm sorry when I get it wrong. and and just to quickly apologize and and but really to be listening more than speaking um to other people's perspectives and stories and the beauty even though it's been such hard conversations and awkward and and tense sometimes just because it's hard uh it's it's a heavy topic right um but the beauty uh I think for me has become that my understanding as we've walked through this book, as we've listened, acknowledged the truth, repented, lamented, and then be started, have started this work of rebuilding. The gospel uh, has become wider and higher and deeper and more wonderful and more colorful and more powerful than I ever imagined. And I just thought, This has been my loss. This is actually, I want to invite every single beating human heart into this work because it is so close to the heart of God. He wants us to be unified. We're one family. And so I just thought, man, I um, am new at this. I am making a lot of mistakes. Um, As I've led this group, I loved when you shared on your first podcast on this Be The Bridge podcast that you just thought, I am so nervous about this. I'm going to just make sure that I have good food because at least we'll eat. And I, and I laughed so hard because Tasha, I was just like, I didn't even have good food. All I had was, I, I didn't have time to go to the grocery store, but I just brought all the like leftover bags of chips, some dried mango, some Tate's cookies. Like I had nothing fancy at all, but I was like, welcome to my house. Here's a lot of snacks. <laughs> We started the conversations and it has just been, um, it's been, it's transformed my heart and my vision and the way that I listen to other people to the point where I went to the Grand Canyon and was, I don't know that I would have thought about indigenous people when I went there, but that was part of what I was grieving when I was in the midst of that place and that trip and acknowledging and just sitting with the heaviness of so much loss that's happened for that whole people group too. I don't I don't think I would have seen or leaned into that story had it not been for this beautiful book that you led us through. So I feel so grateful for what you're doing. 
you're doing. You're doing. You're doing. You're doing. You're doing. Wow, incredible insights. Don't go anywhere. We're going to pause for a quick moment and we'll be right back. Friends, life is hard and sometimes we need a little help. Navigating the stress of sudden changes in income, health complications, and or the loss of someone close can be overwhelming. Not to mention the stress of the tense time of political and social disharmony. Honestly, at this time, we all could use a little help. Well, guess what? There is help. There's help through BetterHelp.com. That's Better H-E-L-P. BetterHelp.com makes professional counseling. It makes it accessible, affordable, and convenient for anyone who may be currently struggling with life's challenges. If that's you, you can get help anytime, anywhere. BetterHelp.com offers access to licensed, trained, and experienced, and accredited psychologists, marriage and family therapists, clinical social workers, and board-licensed professional counselors. We want you to start living a happier life today as a listener. And as a Be The Bridge listener, you'll get 10% off of your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash be the bridge. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash be the bridge. So you can join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. You guys, it's a difficult time and we need these tools and we need a little help to encourage us on the way through betterhelp.com. Carlos Whitaker is an author, a speaker, a moment maker, spider killer, and a hope dealer. People's Choice Award winner, a former recording artist signed to a major label. A social media maven, he currently spends the majority of his time writing books and speaking on stages across the world. It really began when the Whitakers found their family in America's spotlight with appearances on shows like CBS Early Morning, The Today Show, and more when their viral video, Single Ladies Devastation, went viral. But for Carlos, his wife, Heather, and their three children, this viral moment was just a snapshot of a bigger picture. In a time where humanity is desperate to find hope, Carlos Whitaker leads us in conversations that bring us just that, from fun discussions about everyday joy to polarizing and challenging topics. Carlos shows even the most calloused heart that there is still hope in humanity. His episodes are released every Thursday, and for more information, you can follow him at Low Sweat on Instagram. And carloswhitaker.com. Thanks for staying with us. Let's get back to our conversation. We are, as BIPOC people, as a person of color, I've been trained in the same school system that, you know, that doesn't acknowledge my history, you know. And when it's acknowledged, it's not done in a healthy way that's uplifting for me, you know. And um, and so are, are telling the full story, the, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And we know that in any healing process, we have to dig deep to deal with the, the pains and the triumphs, everything to make this complete healing story. And so much we try to, in America, we try to cover that up and we, because it makes us feel bad and it makes us uncomfortable. But, you know, if we think about that, like none of, like your, your journey through, um, the 12 steps, you know, alcoholic, you have to deal with the pain, you know, where, you know, 
you have to make amends in our our faith walk, you know, we have to confess, you know, we have to repent. So we're used to that as it relates to other things. But when it comes to, you know, our racial history, we want to kind of downplay it, erase it, um, you know, um, because it makes us feel bad or we feel un-American when we are trying to call America to the highest ideals, you know, for all people. So for everyone to flourish. And so I think this is a really important conversation. And I think one of the good things is like how you mentioned about being, having this, this philosophy of colorblind and you, but you had someone that you can talk to and say, Hey, that's wrong. But you have to realize that some people, even another person of color, sometimes they see that, uh, they even, I even hear people of color use that term because that's the way we have also been taught because a lot of our parents, you know, were brought up in the 60s or the 70s and some of them were tired. And it was kind of like we we gained some triumphs and we tired and um, and so it was just like our world became very dismissive dismissive of the pain and the marginalization and and everything. So I think this this what we're in a place now we're in a watershed moment. We're in a holy moment where some people will listen and get it. And God will do change through us. And then some people will continue to be dismissive and to continue to challenge, to continue to make up excuses, and they will miss it. But their story won't be, no one ever told me. Their story would be, I heard, but I refused to acknowledge and to listen. And I mean, think about that as it relates to our walk with God. And so, but God always makes big changes through a remnant, through a small group of people. And I think that's the, this, what happened in 2020, I think it was a, a, a calling, a watershed moment to call people who have ears to hear and eyes to see to the front line, to get into position, to get into position um, and be united in this. And whether you're, you know, you've been doing this for 25 years, 30 years, 50 years, all your life to whether today is your first day, you know, there is room for you. And um, but what the things that you said, like, you know, the things that you're reading, you're educating yourself. You're not just sitting there telling someone to teach me, teach me. You're doing your part and you have to do your part. And, you know, you mentioned Just Mercy and Just Mercy, you know, that book is about the 90s and early 2000s. But when I was reading it, I thought it was the 60s and the 50s and the 40s. It's wild. It's Tell me, wild. right? That the sheriff was in in power into. I keep saying this on every podcast that brings it up. The sheriff was in power into 2019, my friends. We need we need to go back and investigate every case that that sheriff participated in. And the judges in that community. I mean, it's, I mean, and that's just one city in Alabama. This happens all over our country, you know? It's, it is to an overwhelming, to an overwhelming degree. You're like, I'm like, are there any lawyers listening? 
Go go find Jess Mercy. <laughs> go. I know, I know, and that's a, that's what EJ. That's why Brian Stevenson created the Equal Justice Initiative. That's exactly why you know you know to really bring about change in our judicial system. And so I'm so grateful for him and his voice. And I'm so grateful that he wrote the book because that has been um, a a moment of transformation for a lot of people to see, to really put to light some of the injustices that are happening right now, not in the 50s and 60s, but right now in this moment as it continues, as we see things unravel on, you know, national news, you know. Um, but, you know, this year has been for you, you know, personally and creatively and spiritually. I know you've written a, a book, you wrote a song, but like this, what has not, I would say what has 2020 and 2021 in this space right here done for Ellie Holcomb? Mm, I love that question. Um, Tasha, this is going to sound kind of crazy, but i I have been on a journey via counseling, huge fan of counseling. Um, it has been, I, I know, because I'm like, this is the part in your book. I'm like, I know you are because I read it in your book. <laughs> you talked about the counseling uh -huh, in your uh -huh, book. Uh -huh. um, but I learned, I've been in counseling for a long time. I have acknowledged wounds from my past. Um, I had never let myself grieve. Uh, really grieve wounds, the wounds from my past. And so I kind of went on a journey about two years ago, a little before 2020, of learning to grieve the deepest wounds in my own story. And as I simply let myself breathe in some of those places and just sit with some of the, the wounds, um, I encountered the man of sorrows himself. Um, and I am so grateful that God is a God who is close to the brokenhearted. And so I think uh, I encountered a lot of hope in those places, which is the thing that I place that I thought would kill me to visit my own grief actually ended up healing me in a way. And so I think I learned to grieve on a personal level um, and that, that rolled into 2020. And so as 2020 rolled in, Maybe I had to learn to grieve on a personal level before I could grieve on maybe a more global, national level. Um, and so I think really what this, what, what your book has really helped me do is, um, I love that you call it righteous. Was it, what did you say earlier? Righteous reconciliation? Oh, oh, um, racial, racial, racial righteousness, racial yes. righteousness. I love yeah. that you call it racial righteousness because, uh, and I love, I loved this book because it, it very much pointed to, uh, the way that I think grief and lament is a part of worship. It's a part of how we become whole. If we don't grieve it, it never, it's just, janky and wounded and keeps getting covered up, which is what I've been doing unintentionally. I didn't know I was doing that in terms of all of the race stuff. Um, I, I was like, oh, that'll be painful to bring that up for them. So I'm just not going to talk about it. Um, but man, it has been such a, so I think for me, it's helped me grieve 
you've given me permission to, to grieve this. And um, that was, that's such a hard thing to do. I don't think it, like, anyway, I just understand why people want to ignore this or push it away because it is hard. But I think if we don't, I just don't want anyone to miss the invitation to the hard because that's Jesus's whole thing. It's backwards and upside down. To die is to live. And what feels like dying sometimes in these conversations that feel really hard and and I would make a mistake and say something that hurt someone that I didn't mean to do. And, you know, we're in like cancel culture. You're so afraid to say anything that... It's going to just get you just trampled on and you're just like, no, I am. I think Brene Brown says it like I am. I'm not here like to be right. I'm here to get it right. Like, I know I'm not going to I'm not going to be right all the time, but I want to learn and get it right. And so it has been such a powerful thing. This invitation that you give us in this book to to, I'm holding up your book over and over again. Yeah, I know, it's so funny. I'm like, your book right here. Uh, but it's such a beautiful invitation into leaning into that those hard places because just like I was saying before with water moving to the lowest place, God is in those hard places. He's already there. He's the ultimate bridge builder. And so I think for me, there's been this unexpected joy and hope as I've learned to grieve, that that follows grief. And that's the rhythm in scripture over and over again, of course. But, um, and, and I'm still grieving, but there's still hope. So it's been a really beautiful, I'm not sure there would be many people that could teach me that, but you did. Yeah. So lament is like you, lament is an act of worship. And that deep sorrow um, propels us into, um, I really believe it propels us when we do it right. It repels us toward righteousness and justice, you know? And and you see that, I mean, half of the Psalms are about David's lament. You know, there's a whole book called Lamentations. Uh, We see this in Job, like we see it throughout scripture, but that is something that Western culture has pushed away, you know, as it relates to how we grieve and how we collectively see each other versus versus seeing just our part, just being more individualistic thinking where I think it's both, you know, you have to, there's, you know, you focus on self, like you said, when I learned to grieve personally, it helped me to grieve collectively and globally, you know, and so, and the Bible is collective. We are connected to one another. It's about the kingdom of God, you know, and the kingdom of God, the upside down kingdom of God is different. It's not empire. Rome was an empire. America is an empire. You know what I'm saying? Um, Egypt was an empire. This is different. Jesus came to build God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And I think that's the thing that we we forget that collective part of this. And um and so like that's so much in that. So so you God revealed to you to to grieve and to learn to grieve and to lament. And I think that vulnerability, but I think there's also something that you're starting with 
that is so key that I see where some people have the natural proclivity to do that and some people don't. Um, and that is um, vulnerability and humility. And those are key ingredients to this work. And some people have it more naturally because of their life experiences, because of their relationship with God. Like, I don't, I don't know, like, everybody's story, but I do know when people don't show up in that or they show up in this, they think they, they're having humility, but they can't listen. So if you can't listen... You know, if you can't sit still, like maybe you, it's not as authentic as you think. Talking about humility is different from living it and being able to to say you're sorry, even if it wasn't you, you know, but being able to sit with people in their pain and in their discomfort, you know, um, because just imagine if you're tired of hearing about it. How about many people of color? We're tired of living it, you oh, know? I, Tasha, I, it has been, this journey has been so humbling. Um, and when you, when you talk about humility, I, I feel like it's taught me to be a better listener to all people. <laughs> but it started with trying to really intentionally listen to people of color. And one of the things that, even as I've shared about some of this journey on Instagram, some people have lovingly come alongside me and said, hey, you're actually centering your own story a lot. It would be really great if you could actually help lift up the voices of other people's stories. And so that's something I'm still working on because I think in this, one of the things that has been really hard that I still feel like I am learning about and recognizing really daily. Because just like you said, imagine the weariness of talking to it. We're not living, I'm not, as a per, as a white person, I'm not living this experience every day. Um, it's like you can kind of check in and check out if you want to. There, because of white privilege, this sort of white-centered, um, what this I mean our country for sure is this where it's just um like I was telling Zandy uh my friend and in, in our in our little bridge builder group I was like I don't even think of myself as having a race like I'm like oh, I'm just I'm just what's normal white that is such that is so wrong that is so wrong and Zandy's and Zandy always says it like she's so full of grace she's like you don't know what you don't know like and she's like, unless you listened, everything around you is reflecting back to you that that's what's normal. And so we talked about mirroring a lot and now she didn't see a lot of herself. And, and um, who was it, the actor that just passed away? And it was so, uh, Ch Chadwick, uh, he's the, yes, Black, pa Black Panther. Chadwick Bossman. Okay. So we, when he passed, we were having one of our groups then and just talked about how it was such a loss because he, for a lot of the, the black women in our group was, was a mirror, was a, a major mirror that they saw. Like one of the, some of them, it was the first, they felt like it was the first like mainstream, very successful movie where they saw, you know, like the hero as this black man. And so I just thought, man, there are, there is so much, um, it has been so good for me 
to learn the art of listening and unlearning this sort of very narrow-minded perspective that I had of, of sort of a, I don't know, it's the white privilege is very real and I'm still, I'm still, I, I recognize it on a different level in some way more and more every day. I was in Target the other day and saw the Band-Aids, these Band-Aids, and I was like, that's the prettiest color. And I was like, oh, they made a line. They finally made a line. That is, that is, and I sent a picture of it to Zanny. I was like, I've never seen this. I just thought this was a pretty color Band-Aid. And I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah, you know, is- it's just stuff that you, we were, it, it, it was the norm and you don't think about it. It's like it happens without us even acknowledging it. And that is the systemic part of it where and realizing that when you talk about privilege, it's, it's not um, you're looking at it from a systemic standpoint. And like because we all have privileges, you know, there's a privilege I have having been educated. You know, you know, there's certain privileges that we we all have. But when you look at your privilege systemically in a racialized society, re- regardless if you had money or not, um, the policies and laws were designed to lift you up and they were designed to put a boot on the neck of people of color. And and so I think it's important for people to understand that. So one of the highs of this Bridge Builder group is I started, it, it, it has bred curiosity in me. <laughs> and so, and how I can be a part of helping lift up the voices of my black and brown neighbors here in Nashville. And so we have this very wonderful mutual friend, Tasha, Will Acuff, Tiffany Acuff, and they started this wonderful organization called Corner to Corner here in Nashville. And they exist to see all neighbors flourish. And so I reached out to them because they're actually the ones that are hosting the Be the Bridge groups here in Nashville, um, or one of them, they host one of them. And um, it was a really beautiful thing because I started thinking about releasing this record. I started thinking about Bridge, the song, and how I wanted to celebrate the record coming out. I fell in love with the work that Corner to Corner is doing. And I discovered that they have this academy where they train underestimated entrepreneurs to uh, turn their dreams and their visions and their ideas into money-making realities. And so they do a 10-week course where they um, do entrepreneurship, small business training for these people. Last year, this is crazy, Tasha. Last year in 2020, They've only done this for four years, so they've had four years of graduates from this program that they do. In four years, their graduates alone have produced, they produce $8 million of Nashville's gross domestic product. All, all, mainly, I think it's about 80% black women who go through the program. So they are doing transformative work here in our city, and I just thought, how did I not know that this was happening? And part of that curiosity happened from our Be The Bridge group. And so I thought, man, I wanna invite corner to corner graduates to help 
row and host. So I invited all corner to corner graduates to help to cater this party that I was throwing and had Shayna, who is an incredible, she's the head of the academy, incredible black woman to come speak at my CD release party. And so we literally tasted and enjoyed amazing food, coneheads, soul sangria. They hosted, they helped me throw the whole party and my whole, most of my bridge builder group was there. And so got to um, share with the record label people and my whole management team and my PR team, this beautiful work that Corner to Corner was doing um, because it's been such a transformative part of my journey being a part of this Be The Bridge group. And so I got to, I think there's this beautiful thing where we now get to sell, I'm getting to celebrate this other amazing work that my black and brown brothers and sisters are doing here in my city. And so it felt very much like the culmination of, um, of our bridge builder work together. Cause one of the things you have us do is ask, how can we get involved in our neighborhood? And I don't, I'm not sure that I would have reached out to really get more involved with corner to corner and what they're doing. Um, you know, if it had not have been for the questions that you were prompting us to ask in this book and that we were asking as a bridge builder group together. And so that was a real highlight to celebrate, um, both the work and the transformation that's happened in our hearts as we've come together to do bridge building work and then to invite sort of my whole professional world into that work as well has been just a delight. And so I was at, um, you know, I was doing all these podcasts and interviews when the record released a couple of weeks ago and my PR people, marketing people were like, Hey, we loved Corner to Corner. Do they need mentors for marketing and PR? And I was like, it's broken. So this just the the good trouble of what you invite us into of of camaraderie and 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 linking arms together to make sure all neighbors flourish is is such that that was a huge highlight for me to get to uh, celebrate this beautiful work that Corner to Corner is doing. Now, you mentioned, you know, in the group and going through this, you mentioned some of the highs and lows and how some people have even talked to you. And I love the fact that you've had people to say, hey, let's let's, you know, center some other story. Like, I think that's good because that takes real love. And and this is the thing. It doesn't bring us joy to have to a lot of times bring correction. We need like also our white brothers and sisters like don't always, you know, look to a, a person of color to bring correction because sometimes when I'm in the room and it's me, it's so exhausting to sometimes have to bring the correction. So I want my allies, my accomplices that are in that room with me to to say those things without me having to say it. And so I love that when I see other white people lovingly try to correct other people. Now, whether you listen or not, that's one thing. But what were some of the highs and lows in your group experience that you had? Yeah, um, I think when we, I would say, actually, it was pretty low at the beginning. Uh, it felt a little bit, untethered we were all we started off by just sharing why we were all there which is which was really um important but very heavy <laughs> and so i i'm so grateful for for zandy's leadership because she was like look 
And I'm grateful for your book for this reason, because I think if we had just stayed having conversations about what's hard or what's wrong with our system, um, I think it could have started to feel pretty hopeless. And um, some of the other, you know, I don't know, things that I was reading, a Facebook group that I was a part of, I love that you point us forward to like a way forward <laughs> um, because it was pretty, it was very hard. I think the first couple of times we, we had, a, I just it wasn't used to leading a group. And so um, it was really helpful when we started really moving through the book. You do a great job in the book of asking questions. So when we started sort of... Um, setting we would share maybe where we were that week for a little bit but really started leaning into um the curriculum <laughs> to something that was a bigger than just our own personal experiences personal experience has been so important for us to talk about that's a lot of you know what comes up from the questions but i think to sort of lean into um this rhythm of listening repentance reconciliation was really important for us so um another another low moment was when um was was when we you know i just there have just been some conversations that we've had where um i think people have said things unknowingly that were hurtful me included um i there was we were talking about mirroring and i was like well I was like, American Girl doll did it pretty good. They had, they had a, they had a, a black doll, you know, from the very beginning. And, and Zandy was like, Ellie, yeah, she was a slave. So that was my mirror of doing that. And I just thought, I've never, yeah, uh, yeah, she was. And I, I'm not here to criticize the American Girl doll company. And obviously, they're acknowledging. I, I'm not like just like, but. I'm, but also it it is history so I'm sure that's like but I'm like was that a complex conversation for them I don't know if it was I've never spent a ton of time and I even read Addie's books as a kid and I just that I was not the person in the story that was a slave and so I didn't I haven't thought about like that so there have been conversations like that where I'm like well they did it great and she's like not yeah. really at they all. They romanticized so, it. They romanticized it. And, you know, this is a little girl. And just think about those experiences because most children that were in slavery were not with their parents. They were taken from their parents or how they even came about. Like, you know, there's so many layers. But the thing is, did they consult with the African-American community before doing this? You know, because there's a way to tell that story in, in a more truthful and redeeming way without trying to gloss over the hard part. But this is a, ch a toy, a child that you're, a toy that you're cre creating for children and you're creating this black toy and it is about history, but there's a better way that they could have done it. You know, I love that the fact that they had a black doll, but, um, you know, even that black doll, like, could they, you know, maybe have brought it um, forward in history if they weren't going to do a good job with telling the, the full history and not romanticize it. It was more gone with the windish, you know? And um, and so, yeah, so that's a lot of problems that, you know, but hey, I know we bought the doll and you know what I'm saying? And, um, you know, so there's a, a, a lot of things, but now that I know better, you know, you got to do better. Like there's some blinders, even we had like, oh, it's a, 
a black doll, but not even realizing the story behind it, you know? But so it's important for us to do our work. And some people are hearing this now, like, oh my goodness, I didn't know that, you know? But um, but it's, it's important to have a diverse community, companies. That's why you have to have the right people, um, marketing, all those things, all these things come into play. Yeah, they do. And I, I think too, there has been, um, I, there's been a lot of moments like that where I'm like, this is great. And then there's a deeper level of, of, of unlearning. And I'm like, Oh man, I'm so sorry. And so it's been a really beautiful place because what's happened as we've had these conversations and come, like you said earlier, Latasha, and, and authentic selves of, of trying really intentionally trying to learn and listen it's cultivated this authentic and vulnerable community beyond just these conversations. These are a really important part of what we do, but because we've kind of leaned in and worked through some of these awkward, like, uh, that was not my experience. And the different black women in our group have different experiences and opinions. And that has been really beautiful to see. They, they will be like, oh, well, I don't see it like that. Oh, well, this has been my experience. One of our girls, her mom is, was, um, her story is really different. She came from, uh, let's see, somewhere in the South. She immigrated here from maybe Barbados, somewhere, so, totally different story and politically has a different perspective. And, and so it's just been, it's been a really interesting, but you start talking about families and the way that your family dealt with this. And so it, it has bred this very, um, authentic, very close knit, vulnerable, beautiful community of friendship. And I think for me, I, I wasn't expecting that. I'm like, we're going to have these conversations we're going to do this hard, this hard work together. And what's happened is so much joy and, and connectedness and friendship. And, um, that has been a delight. Yeah. And I think that's the, I'm so glad that you had that experience of having different perspectives because, you know, it's important, you know, um, for even people coming and even ourselves to, relearn history in a, in a way that gives us context to what's happening. And, it, you know, once you start figuring out and understanding redlining and all the things, you're like, oh, this makes sense, you know, and um, it gives you a, a deeper perspective. Now, now, one thing I heard, one high that came out of this group of spirits was a song, Oh yeah, how can I not talk about that when you talk about highs and lows? I I, I went straight to the lows. Oh, tell me about this song um, called Bridge. Yes, uh, and um, it's meaning to you and others. Absolutely. Thank so you. I what there was one morning um, in the midst of the, our group meeting that I was reading through the headlines in the news. And this was back in 2020. So there was so much misinformation um, from the top down, you know. Um, and I was just reading all of these articles, a lack of understanding, a lack of listening um, 
in the leadership of our country. And I was grieving that. Um, and, and I was having one of the heavier days. I don't know how, I'm sure you have so much wisdom in how to carry the days where things hit you heavier than others, or maybe it's every day and you just learn to carry that to Jesus and, and to exist and to function. I'm like, my goodness, it is a lot. I just have a lot of respect for my black and brown brothers and sisters because I am like, there are days when it just feels like, I'm like, I don't even know I'm supposed to show up to this co-write today because I am so sad. I'm so sad about the brokenness um, and that this, conti- this cycle continues of lives, black lives being lost at the hands of police officers. Like, we need reform. Anyway, so I was grieving that. And I was on my way to a co-write with a, a guy named Jordan Reynolds. I had never met him before. But our other co-writer had canceled. And I got in the car. And very often when something is heavy for me, I like I said before, I if I can sing, it helps calm my heart. It helps direct my eyes to lift my eyes to the hills, if you will. And so I started singing the chorus of Bridge when I was in the car. Because I just thought, I, I do not, I will not let hate win. I will not let hate win. I cannot, I am going to tell, I'll write a better story. I'm going to live a better story. I'm going to continue to listen and to learn and to advocate and to be a part in whatever ways I can of, of reforming justice systems, of reforming laws that are not fair, of speaking to my white friends about this and inviting them into this work. I want to do everything that I can. And I think I need to quit and become a lawyer or I need to become a police officer and do something. And I'm just this little songwriter girl over here. And so but I started singing about this. And so I just thought, man, I want to bring, I don't know what Zandy, so two of the girls in my group, Zandy, my co-leader, and then Carly, who's actually my sister, but who's also a um, singer-songwriter and has been a member of our group. I I sent them both a text and I said, what are y'all doing right now? I'm driving to this co-write. I started singing this song and I want you to come write it with me because this has been work that we've had the privilege of doing together. And um, it has been it was so amazing. Zandy couldn't come. She was in rehearsals with her band. But she sent me, she heard the chorus and she said, how on the nose do you want this song to be? And I was like, very. She goes, okay. And so she sent me the first verse of the song, just over voice memo, which is kind of crazy. Wow. The the day and the age that we're in. So uh, she sent sing that it, first sing verse. It. You got to sing the first verse because the audience, is they got to go listen to it. They may not have heard about it. So you can say it or you can sing. Okay. I had it wrong. Turns out there's more to this story than what I thought. And now all the truth, it haunts me. Searching for 
like the only thing that sustains that bridge is the message of Jesus. You know, exactly. it's like I love that. I love that. And so Zay, Zay, she sent you that first verse. She did, and I just wow. thought, well, that about perfectly describes the journey that I've been on. And she's been so gracious. I'm like, I've how got do to you? Meet her. I'm you, coming. you have I'm to know, you. Zandy. I'm we're, coming. We're gonna come and go eat some good food here in Nashville. Yes, yes. But it's been so beautiful. She and um, her her band, the New Respects, they're amazing. Um, she, it's her sister, her twin sister, her brother, and then their cousin. Um, and they are a party. They are so incredible. And they actually came and sang vocals on the song. Carly, my sister, who wrote the song, sang on it as well. So it, it really is, I mean, Tasha, it feels like the sound of the fruit of what's happened after living through this book that you wrote together. Um, and you know, I think sometimes, and I don't know if you feel this way, but sometimes, you know, having these conversations um, about how we can be bridge builders, how we can bring about racial justice and reform, um, sometimes in the light, in light or in the wake of some of the tragedy that continues to happen, in, in the wake of some of the things that people say on social media even, sometimes it feels like throwing flower seeds at monsters, you know? Like it just is like, oh, all we're doing is having a conversation. I have to do something bigger. And I'm not saying that we're never called to big things. I'd love to hear from you ways that... Anyway, just I, I am like everything. I, I want to do everything that I can to continue to lean into this work. But I must say, too, that the kingdom of heaven always starts small. Like it's like a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like the, the yeast, the leaven that's in the dough. And it's worked through the whole thing, but then the dough rises. And so what's been so beautiful about, and I think a highlight for me, a high for me from the book, writing this song, taking these little seeds of conversation that have happened that have been planted in my heart, but that have completely transformed the way that I see the world, that I interact with other people, that I listen to people, that I listen to God. And so I can say, I know it feels like flower seeds, but I am a totally different person. And if God can do that in me, who was colorblind and, and accidentally dismissive to my black and brown brothers and sisters, who I, I just had, was getting so many things wrong. I still am. I'm still listening. I'm still growing. I'm still repenting. But if God can change me this drastically, it gives me such hope that he can change other people and that he can change systems and that he can invite us to do whatever part that he's calling us to, to be a part of this bridge building work. And that yeah. has been so beautiful. I mean, oh my goodness, Ellie, that is incredible. Like this is what I think, this is why we do what we do. You know, and, and this is why we deal with the hard and, um, you know, even with my team, like I was, I was telling them, you know, it's been so much coming at us and them individually. And, you know, you know, pray for your brothers and sister of color right now because it's a hard place and especially seeing the church 
reject a lot of the pain and the the truth um it's heartbreaking you know and so um you know but when i hear these stories and you know i get to hear a lot you know and i try to you know let them know these stories like because it's uplifting it's fuel so i'm I, my prayer is that this podcast also will not only be education and things that people can share and learn from but it also acts as fuel for this journey that we're navigating and i think um some of what you said in your words, it has been like healing bomb, you know, even for for me, you know, because you're 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 in the midst of this journey. It's like you're learning, you're being corrected, you're, you know, like all of these things. And so um how do you think um why do you think it's an important for people to have this, especially white people to have this posture of listening, listening and humility and lament in this conversation? Mm. It's a great question, Tasha. I think, I think the listening is really important because there is no way as a white person that we can understand what it is like to be a person of color. We just, we are in a, a white centric um, culture. And, and um, so I think without really listening and being willing to be humble and to be corrected and, you know, to just learn. Um, I don't, I, I think honestly, we'll miss out on so much beauty, A, because I have learned so much about faith. I say, Zandy, how do you interact with anybody? How do you not hate everybody? Like, I, like, and she goes, oh, I'm tethered. I'm tethered. This is, I, I belong to a kingdom that's coming. And this world is not my home. And I'm very aware of that. And she is aware of that in ways that I'm not even aware of that. And I have learned from her. I'm like, oh my goodness. I, I have been, it is our loss when we don't listen to each other. Um, it really, it's especially for um, white people in sort of a white-centric, white-privileged culture um, where there's systemic systems set up for us to just succeed. We, we don't even acknowledge that half the time. I, it, we have been missing out. And I don't think, um, and I think the lament piece has to come because uh, if, we, if we don't lament after listening, um, I think we run the serious risk of being dismissive and, and missing out on, um, on the true healing. Because I think if we don't really lament, there's no way that we can begin to... I think the lament is actually, Tasha, it's the fuel for repentance and reconciliation. I really think that it is because um, Jesus meets us there in that lamenting place. He is the man of sorrows. Like we've talked about so many times, he meets us in those low places. And I think when you encounter the presence of love and the presence of God in the midst of weeping and grieving over some of the egregious racism that is still within the church today, like you're saying. I mean, just the, the lack of acknowledgement that's still here. Um, 
man, when, when you are grieving that and it feels like such a big divide to cross, doesn't it? I don't know. It does to me some days. I'm like, how are we supposed to do this? But not by my or by power, but by his spirit. And so when I'm lamenting, I'm inviting his spirit. We're just breathing in the love of God in those places. And I think there is something about breathing in the presence of God in those lamenting places that helps us then carry his presence and his love and his hope into other places where it's tense. So for me, I, I, I am, I, it's been the most powerful catalyst in this journey is the lament. Wow. That is oof, good stuff. Now, um, what would you recommend to those that are listening or maybe someone's listening? If you're listening, you've taken a step. Um, but those who are trying to convince people to take a step, um, what would you recommend for those who acknowledge the racial brokenness but haven't taken any steps towards change or transformation? Mm. Um, I would say I, I, I this is I'm not just here on your podcast, Blood Smoke Tasha. I know, I know, I can I, hear I it really in you. I really am not. I Listen, really am not. But I would just the say, spirit I'm speak to spirit. I I hear you. I feel you. I see you. Yeah. Okay. I am <laughs> really. I really would. I would say that there is so much beauty on the other side of of this hard these hard conversations and these steps. And so I would encourage you as a first step uh to really have a conversation with a black or brown friend or actually before that maybe even before that probably before that actually what I'm learning is read a book. Yeah. <laughs> like educate yourself. Yes, yes. Don't like it, that has been a really important thing that I've learned cuz I know y'all are tired. Tasha and and I, I and some of the girls that even in our group are we we they didn't want to stop meeting so we're actually reading uh, Jamar Tisby's Color of yes, Compromise right yes, now which is a been great one amazing Love Jamar, and then yes there are some of the girls who are taking a break because a because life is picking back up and so it's been busier but they were also like this is heavy for me like there is a cost and I I just say thank you to any black or brown brother or sister out there who has been a part of a, a bridge builder group that costs you something like thank you it is it is so huge so if you're a white ally like you're a white person you're wanting to be on this journey i would say educate yourself just mercy is a great book be the be the bridge is a great book um you could start a group with even just white women reading this book, and it would be helpful. Um, I, it's been really helpful to hear from the different perspectives, but I always tell Zandy, I'm like, I don't know why anybody would sign up for this unless Jesus himself yeah. told you to if you're exactly. a, a black or brown person you, in this, because it's hard. It is Because hard. we are a people of faith, and we want to see people hold the church whole. We want to see transformation. So we put our bodies on the line. We've always put our bodies on the line. And we don't have to, but I feel like God uses us in just an incredible way in our story um, to 
change minds and hearts. And um, but I'm so glad that you see what it cost us, you know, to show up. And and it's okay as a person of color to take a break or to have time. We are all different. Some of us can't show up like this now because we're dealing with our own trauma and That's our right. own wounds that we have to heal ourselves from, and um, that we have to seek the you know, the healer um, that heals all things for ourselves first. And I think, um, but I think to hear this even becomes healing for them to to see people doing the work and trying and leaning in, you know, um, you're going to mess up. And when you mess up, like I told Annie, it's like, you're going to mess up. People going to come at you. But what are you going to do after that? And you keep going. And so this, you know, this, you know, you can't quit because you lost a few followers or some friends or if you lose all your followers, if you know you're doing the right thing and your right this thing. work has convicted you, like if there's conviction that's leading this, then it's like, I mean, I've been called a Marxist. I mean, all kinds of crazy stuff that right. is like, do you not even know me? And I, I'm like, clearly that those people have not read my book. Right, that's right. You know, and so, um, but it's just kind of like, it's sometimes the things you're like, okay, I ain't got to deal with this. I do not have to deal with this. <laughs> but, you know, it's like when it's not about you and it's about being a credible witness for the glory of God. That's right. You know, empowering people and culture toward, towards racial healing, racial equity, and racial reconciliation. Mm. That is the conviction that I have, and that's the conviction that that drives me. So why do you feel like it's important? And that we're about to close because we are way over time. But um, <laughs> why do you think it's important for people like yourself to e- elevate this conversation on racial healing and racial brokenness, you know? Um, yeah, I I think for me... Um, and and before I answer that, Tasha, I do want to say, I think the first thing I would tell somebody who's wanting to take this journey of racial reconciliation, they've acknowledged it, but they haven't taken a next step. I would say pray. I would say ask the Spirit to guide you. Ask the Spirit to bring whatever books you're supposed to read and then educate yourself, right? Like spend some time educating yourself and pray through that too. Cause I think we can get into this like self shame. I got into a pretty deep pit of shame, um, for a while on this journey. Cause I was like, how have I not known better? How have I been missing this? And, um, and man, if you don't take the spirit along with you on this journey, I think it is really easy to fall into a pit of hopelessness and, and despair. And that is not the gospel. And that is not who Jesus is. And, um, and so I would, encourage you to educate yourself. And as you educate yourself and as you read, I think what will happen, that's kind of what I did first because I was like, I have so much to learn. Let me educate myself. And then all of a sudden I started having questions that I wanted to ask, informed questions that I wanted to ask and conversations that I, that I had the privilege of having with some of my black and brown brothers and sisters. And, and I think it was helpful to go in informed, um, just so I could have a little bit better understanding without them having to tell me of what, what some of the things that they are experiencing every day. So that maybe is good, good steps. (laughs) No, I think that's great. I think it's great. 
Um, but then, if you can be in this group, in a group like this, it, it has absolutely changed my life. And that's my answer to your last question. Why is it important for us to lean into this racial restoration, racial reconciliation, racial righteousness work? Uh, it is so close to the heart of God. It is so representative of His kingdom. And I think especially for if there are are white people listening, I think um, it is really important for us to stand in the gap because there are so many. I just honor all of you black and brown brothers and sisters who have been putting your bodies on the line, who have been waging peace, who have been <laughs> waging this, doing this work of justice. It is so close to God's heart. It's just so close to his heartbeat. It's what he calls us into, like the Isaiah 61, rebuilding ancient ancient ruins. And so I thank you for your work. And, and I also like I don't want anyone to miss out on the beauty that is this work. It has been, it has, it has um, expanded my heart and my vision of what the gospel is. And so I think for us to stand in the gap as, as you know, I'm just, I'm playing songs to a lot of times pretty white crowds, Tasha. Like, but I think, so I'm like, what can I do in this? I can invite people into this work. I can say there is so much work that we have to do. Join me on this story of, join me on this journey of racial reconciliation. What might that look like? Um, and so I think for us to like be a voice of, of the invitation and of saying, this is an issue. This is an issue close to the heart of God. Would you join me in and your book is such a great invitation in reading the Be the Bridge group or, or joining a bridge group in your local city. I can do that at any com- at any coffee that I have with a friend, at any concert that I ever play. And, um, and so I think it's important uh, because it's so close to the heart of the gospel. So yeah. that was kind of a long answer, but no, it, that's it great. Matters. <laughs> yeah. Continue to talk about it. Continue to educate yourself. Continue to build a community of diverse thinkers and leaders and um, continue the work that you're doing. Um, I am coming to to, um, Nashville. And so maybe we can do that tour together. Um, And so I'll let you know when when we get up that way. Um, And the last thing is, you know, I know... You, we, we, you just talked about your hope, really, for what you see for racial healing um, and continue to use your platform, you know, like because there's people that are listening to you that wouldn't necessarily listen to, listen to me. But you become that bridge to new information. And I think that's important. So tell our audience how how our audience can find um, you on social media and how they can listen to your music and how they can hear the song called Bridge. In the Absolutely. Album. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so I'm just Ellie Holcomb on all the social media things. Um, you can listen to Bridge on Spotify and iTunes. Anywhere you stream music, it's there, and it's on my new record called Canyon. Um, and I am just so grateful uh, to get to speak with you. You have really been. Um, a hero and a leader for me 
Tasha, and it is a joy to get to spend some time talking with you today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being on the Be The Bridge podcast. Thank you to our audience for listening. Thank you for leaning in. Thank you for lamenting. Thank you um, for still having hope and um, such a a conversation that you know, that breathes a lot of hopelessness. And um, thank you for believing. And so thank you for joining us on this journey. And thank you, Ellie, for using your platform, um, for creating this beautiful song that's going to touch so many people and inspire so many people. So continue this good work. Um, Let's continue this getting into good trouble together. You know, um, this is good trouble. This is good heat. You know, good challenges. um, And it's all for um, the greater good. So thank you so much for joining us today on the Be The Bridge Podcast. the donors table if you'd like to hear the unedited version of this podcast thanks for listening to the be the bridge podcast to find out more about the be the bridge organization and or to become a bridge builder in your community go to be the again that's be the if you've enjoyed this podcast remember to rate and review it on this platform and share it with as many people as you possibly can You can also connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Today's show was edited, recorded, and produced by Trayvon Potts at Integrated Entertainment Studios in Metro Atlanta, Georgia. The host and executive producer is Latasha Morrison. Lauren C. Brown is the senior producer. And transcribed by Sarah Conitzer. Please join us next time. This has been a Be The Bridge production.